every time I start um, recording, I always get like nervous or something, and then I freeze up, and then I have to restart. And so I don't feel like doing that right now. So I'll just keep going, and you can just hear that awkward long pause in the beginning. Hey everyone, welcome back to Go Black Boy Go. This is a bonus episode I'm doing where I will be talking about um, just my experience studying for breath exams, which are um, just the first round of exams that we have to do in my program um, that will get us closer, that gets us closer to being a PhD candidate. Now, most no, most programs, um, from what I'm seeing, most programs um, usually do one big test, um, but here they break it up into two different ones. And so, I mean, I don't really know how I feel about that. Um, it would be it would be nice to just do one big test, but I do like that it's broken up, but it's still like kind of confusing because they want you to get a breath, an overview of certain fields and certain um, kinds of literature. Um, but you can't really get a breath. Um, and it sounds like I'm saying breath, but it's breath. I don't even know how to say the word anyway. Um, but you can't really get an overview of that field in like 40 or so texts. Um, so, yeah, it's just kind of. It's kind of a quirky little thing, but so um, most people usually do one theoretical field and one literary field. Um, but since I um, don't really do literature, I'm in film and media, so I just decided to do um, two theoretical fields. Um, I could have did I could have done media studies, but that would have been that's going to be my major field. So, um, yeah, so I, I chose two different theoretical fields, uh, performance studies and queer studies. And with both of those lists, I really wanted to um, center uh, black studies and um, black feminism. So um, the majority of the texts on my list are um, from um, folks in black studies Um and yeah, I just uh, learning a lot of black history with within these two fields. Um, one thing I do like about this process is that we can build our own list with our examiners. Um, but mostly we we have um, the opportunity to build our own list. I um, yeah, I, I, I wanted to put things on there that I have seen um, black studies people talk about and, um, things that I've been wanting to read for the longest. So, um, that's what I sort of prioritized when I was designing, um, or, or creating my list. Um, I guess I'll talk about a few, um, texts that, uh, have been very, uh, transformative for me in this process. Um, so, for my performance studies list, um, I think the the book that really sticks with me throughout this whole process is um, Henry Louis Gates Jr.'s um, 
signifying monkey where he talks about now it's a long ass book um and i didn't read the whole thing i just read the first three chapters um but if you want to get a sense of the signifying tradition which is pretty much um the way that black language um operates in in direction um so like yo mama jokes are an example of signifying where it's like it's like you're giving an insult but it's out of it's out of love and respect too so that's one kind of signifying other kinds of signifying are uh just satirical language um that uh kind of basically black language always operates in a double kind of mode and that's related to Du Bois's double consciousness um but yeah black language black vernacular operates in a double kind of sense so um I wish I could find an example. I wish I can think of an example right now, but I'm hoping that will suffice for now. Um, yeah. So now I'm getting stuck <laughs> that I don't know how to um, uh, explain what signifying is right now. But I, but the main part of signifying that is important to know is is um, black language operating as a way to um either throw off uh the appearance of power or to speak back to power while looking while while sounding and um looking like it is like still powerless that's what i kind of got from signifying i like the kind of power play that gates talks about um black language doing um yeah so that's been really something that i've thought about just in terms of um how black people tell stories how black people talk to each other um and just thinking about in my own life just how uh my family members talk to each other and how i talk to my friends and family um yeah we're always you know cracking jokes we're always uh it it it, to to the outside looking at it could look like we hate each other but yeah it's just out of love and then for sign like for signifying um operating in a situation where you're trying to appear powerless while like maintaining power um I mean, th- th- those are moments like I- I'm pretty sure <laughs> I'm pretty sure I have many moments like that that I could point to, but I am blanking on them right now. So that's signifying monkey, um, which was very, very um, helpful for me. Also, uh, Zora, Zora Neale Hurston's characteristics of Negro expression um, this was written in 1936, and I think it's still apl- um, applicable to uh, any kind, any kind of thing about black performance right now, and just like black people as um, performing bodies. Um, yeah, I just I I love the way Zora Neale Hurston writes. 
Um, I like her attention to black language too. And she's very particular about how she um, says black people in a certain, in certain, dem- um, what's the word? Not demographic, certain uh, geora- geographical regions speak. Um, and I was reading characteristics in addition to um, their eyes were watching God. So I was reading their eyes were watching God for fun. And I was seeing like the kinds of things she was saying about black language and about expression, style, um, things like that. I, I there's, I'm trying to like keep something down. I always keep water by me because every time I start talking um, on the mic, things always try to like come up. I don't know why. Um, yeah, things that she was saying about style and um, adornment, um, beauty, like beauty, like I, I really found to be um, just very, very special uh, just to think about black culture in this way. Um, and one important thing that she says is black people speak in pictures um, and black people speak in action. And um, so th- that that to me is very important because um, as someone who is, who is a visual learner and a visual person, um, I like to study visual things. Um, it's really cool to know that black like that and that investment in the visual is related to black vernacular and black language. And what I've been seeing, at least from being an English major, um, there is this sort of separation between um, literary study and film and media studies. Um, And I don't really see a separation because I, I see literature as visual and I see film as literary. So there's no separation between the two for me. And so reading that black language is in itself, um, like, like it's related to vision. It's related to action. Um, that that just affirms to me like the way that I think about film and literature. Um, it it's not there's no separation because both are attributed to language. Um, so yeah, that was really um, yeah I was really grateful to read that because it like I said it just affirmed my thoughts that I already have on film um, and I I I usually get. Um, feedback about my papers on certain films when um yeah certain feedback about how I need to use more film terms and um yeah I I definitely get that I think that when I talk about film I'm reading it as if it's a book almost um and yeah I just I I think that's the way I want to think about it because um, yeah, I, I think, I, I think, I think, I think film and 
and photos and other kind of visual things. I think they need a literary treatment because um, I think it just frees up the way that we can use language to think about things. Um, and we and I, what I really don't like about um, a lot of film studies, a lot of, I guess, dominant film studies is and I think things are changing now. Um, but what I don't really like about it is the way that you like it's just very um, much focused on the te- the technical aspects of, of of filmmaking, and I think that's important. But I think paying attention to how language is working is also e- equally important and can really change the way you think about films. Um, so again. Uh, Zora Neale Hurston's characteristics of Negro expression was very um, fruitful for me in terms of thinking about um, film and language. Um, I have some greatest hits on my performance studies list. So I have um, Appropriating Blackness by E. Patrick Johnson, which was great to read and um, great to think about um blackness and um authenticity so um yeah who who yeah i just i I like that discussion of on the one side blackness and performance and who 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 gets to say that you know that this performance of blackness is quote-unquote real um i like that um let me go through some more Oh, got scenes of subjection on here, which I read in full, and I really recommend people read uh, the whole book, Scenes of Subjection, Terror, Slavery, and Self-Making in 19th Century America by the Queen uh, City Hartman. Not only is the book uh, just uh, a great historical study, the way that she thinks about performance Um, black performance specifically as um, a double bind um, under and then the way she thinks about black performance um, in terms of the everyday um, with with um, the washers going I hope y'all don't hear that (laughs) Um, in terms of uh, how she talks about black performance and the everyday under the conditions of slavery I think is really interesting and messy and cool because you know she's thinking about moments where black people are being um abused like sexually abused um physically abused um, emotionally abused how how they're being um made fungible um pretty much uh, this idea that she says able to be used for various white uses um, and made into a pretty much a commodity, a, a commodity and object. Um, the, the yeah, the way that the like these people under these conditions were trying to survive, they created certain um moments to have like to find freedom so like one of 
and, and these are like very small moments these aren't like big moments of freedom but like one uh, instance i'm thinking of is stealing away where basically um enslaved folks would um go go to parties and just go hang out and they would have to sneak out because um typically the the slave the enslaver would not um they, they didn't like them congregating together because they thought that they were going to start a revolution which is true um but yeah they didn't like them uh, uh sneaking out or like being congregating together so uh, enslaved folks had to um steal away um which meant they they went and um partied and 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 tried to um live live uh the best way they could um and so that that's like a a moment of um this kind of like like trying to steal a, a moment of freedom and then example of the double bind um there's this one uh story she has where she talks about this enslaved person who, or this enslaved black woman who is um, on the, on the, I don't know if, I think it's on the auction block. And um, she says pretty much uh, the person that was looking to buy her was like, like very much uh, examining her. And she kind of says, um, basically like why don't you why don't you look let me find the the moment so basically the enslaved woman after she's being examined tells the um the people that are trying to sell her um why don't you look and see if there's teeth down there referring to her vagina and so um uh, Sadia Hartman talks about how uh this is a moment of sexual exploitation, um, but it's also a moment of Suki, uh, which was the enslaved person who was speaking, um, how she was able to st- just still just a little moment of talking back to power. And it, it's very small because, um, you know, this is an enslaved person, but it's just certain moments like that, um, that Hartman kind of brings out that I really like. And then I like her critique of, uh, the mask. So, so something about this book that doesn't um, get talked about is she really is thinking about the transition from slavery to freedom and really interrogating what freedom means. Um, like, after the emancipation proclamation so one of the things she talks about that i really like is the masculinity of citizenship and so she explains how when in uh newly free people n- newly free black people were um r- uh were given their quote-unquote freedom that a lot of and she's reading like pamphlets and things like that like she's doing a close reading of pamphlets and self-help guides uh pretty much um from this time and she was saying like you know in these materials 
the manhood was spoken about a lot. Um, and this was very much, um, related to white men trying to, I guess, build black men in, in their own image, but also, um, create a situation where they couldn't possibly have, uh, anything that they have, um, but still, that was something that um, the people who were, quote unquote, helping um, newly free black people, um, that was something that they they thought that they uh, needed in order to be free was to uh, aspire to um, these uh, um, ideas about manhood. And so um, I really like that because uh it's not often talked about in historical, many historical texts um, about what citizenship means and how citizenship left out uh, black women and the role of black women. Um, and I think even Hartman uh, talks about how this whole citizenship, um, the manhood of citizenship um, left black women in a place where um yeah, they, they just don't have any rights. Um, so yeah, I, I like, I like all of that from this book. Um, and, and most people, um, quite honestly, I don't think most people really read the whole thing and they just cite certain parts of it. So, um, I'm glad I read the whole thing. Um, and then, um, also from Hartman, as Venus in 2X where she talks about critical fabulation um and that's basically the she, she her work is really interested in thinking about uh the archive of slavery and what we can do to read against um archival materials that are collected and given a certain narrative that doesn't really capture the humanity of, of of the person that's being documented um and that's what she does in season of subjection um and and so when she's thinking about critical fabulation and venus and 2x she's wanting to think about how we as writers of history or writers working with historical documents can um I, I really think how, how we can position uh, um, the historical subject in a way that doesn't um, in a way that doesn't trust that the materials are giving the true the truth quote unquote truth of the character or the situation. Um, so really, I think it's just a skepticism of the archive and what the archive of slavery or the or any kind of archive um what kind of work that it's doing and how we can work against it um yeah so i like that then there was afrofabulations by tavia nyango that i read in full and um really liked i still don't really <laughs> understand the whole thing i'm gonna have to reread it again but um yeah i just i i see this is a book that I really like because he's doing the what he uses to um make his claims he's using 
literature, film, um, um, photography, uh, performance art, um, just a, a slew of things to um, make this argument and to um, just let us know about how black performing and i think what he, he is concerned with is how black performance is operating in a sort of digital uh era that's what i think and i think that's an understated um part of the book um but i i think that's one of the overarching things how is it working in a digital era um now if you want me to tell you what afrofabulation is i i, I really cannot <laughs> I really cannot sum up what it is because he has so many different definitions for it. But one definition um would be the the way that a particular performance of blackness and the loud ice cars are back. Let's see, a way that a particular performance of blackness is uh, I, I just I, I keep thinking of how he says performing with and against the camera um, when he's talking about um, Crystal Labeja's, um appearance in The Queen uh, a 1968 film um, performing with and against the camera and um, there are moments, again, this relates back to this sense of doubleness. So there are moments where, um, in the book, he talks about how certain characters will play into stereotypes and will, will create another story out of a stereotype. So the Mandingo comes up and he talks about how this one person, um, says oh well um mandigo I, I, like the mandingo fighters are pretty much an um enslaved uh black men who were fighting other enslaved black men and um they were really subjected to um they just really like treated like you know like dog fights pretty much and so um there's this one um uh, sort of case that was um fairly recent with um a college i think it was a college kid that was arrested for spreading hiv um while these i really know i remember hearing about the case is about this person who um was accused of spreading hiv while these people were like willingly wanting to have sex with him i don't know if they knew that he had hiv or whatever but all i know is that they all wanted him <laughs> um that's what i get from the story and so this person tiger mandingo said um well i don't i don't think of mandingo as a stereotype mandingos were powerful powerful fighters and i'm a fighter and that's why you know that name sticks for me um and so um Nyong'o talks about how, you know, this is an Afrofabulation because he is taking this stereotype and creating another narrative out of it. And I think that's kind of the root of critical fabulation and Afrofabulation, like think like spinning and putting a new spin on 
um, something that is read that is read dominantly in a negative or it, it probably isn't only negative, but something that is read in a, a certain way that, um, people don't usually read it. If that makes sense. Yeah. So that's Afrofabulation. That was, um, a fun book to read or, it was a long book to read, but it, I won't, <laughs> I won't say it was fun. It was a long book to read. It was hard to, um, and then, um, so I would, oh, and then there, um, I was so, um, happy to read, uh, the captive stage performance and pro slavery imagination of the antebellum North by Douglas Jones. I think he's a junior. I think he's Douglas Jones Jr. But that was a that was a good book to read because he was thinking about um, anti uh, or pro slavery uh, performances in the North and how um, dur- during during slavery and how Northerners did um, Northerners performances of blackface, Northerners um, uh, cultural production, um, invalidating black freedom. Um, yeah, I'll, I like, I, I just, anything that will expose the racism of the North, I'm like here for. And I think, um, Jones does a great job of theorizing about how, um, black performance was taught of in this pro-slavery, um, imagination. And one, uh, one one thing one thing that really pops out to me is something about that I didn't really know about black culture but makes a lot of sense is um parade culture um and so he talks about how black people used so at first during um enslavement black people were able to have parades like election day and they would uh, uh, elect a a quote unquote governor and this was something that enslavers would um, allow enslaved folks to do because um, they didn't want them to revolt. And that was always a fear of their of theirs, um, the fear of revolt. And so, this election day turns into the this protest culture that happens um, in the, or the the well, really, throughout the nineteenth century um, and early twentieth century, and still now, where black people um, would put on these parades to, um, bring awareness to them needing rights. And, um, so, and, and these parades were always feared by white people because it brought attention to the injustices. Um, does that sound familiar anyway? (laughs) Um, so I, I love that, um, I got a sense of where I got a sense of where this kind of performance comes from and it is a performance but it also is very rooted in black culture where this comes from um and it's always been a way for black people to rally together and now now in our contemporary times um you know protesting is uh made into a negative thing and um yeah, I, I there's so much I could say about that. Um, 
yeah there's so many there's so many things i could say about that i i'm I'm going to because i really think that this is an interesting after reading about protest culture and thinking about how protests um and protesters are uh being um uh br- brutally yeah i don't know i i, I really these days I don't really have the space to talk about violence against black people. I just, it's just, it's just straining to think about, but I think Trump is really um, trying to limit the um, amount of, uh, let's see, the amount of black backlash. I was going to say blacklash. I'm going to keep blacklash. The amount of blacklash that he is getting from, um, just the way that he's handling the pandemic, the way he's handling the senseless murders that are happening. Um, and I just find it really interesting that this has always been something that is rooted in black culture and now it's, it's something that's trying to be suppressed. Um, so that right there is the is a suppression of black culture, suppression of blackness, um, suppression of um, black freedom. Um, so. Uh, yeah, do do with that information what you will. I don't care to draw any conclusions there. Um, yes, so that's the captive stage by Douglas Jones. I think he's a junior. Um, oh, and then Slaves to Fashion by Monica Lewis. Um, I love this book. Uh, I'm gonna go back and finish it. I only told myself I was going to read a couple chapters from it. Um, she's talking about the black dandy uh, uh, trope. And so this it puts you in the mind of Andre 3000. Um, and so she's pretty much tracing this image of this really dapper looking, usually a black man, but black women also tap into the dandy too. Um, I just love when scholars talk about certain visual tropes that are in, in that are in um black culture and um the dandy is one where she talks about how this image of this effeminate and um a very upper class black person shattered ideas about masculinity and i think that's so great um when we think about you know Sadia hartman talking about in scenes of subjection about how the, like the masculinity of citizenship and so when we think about, you know, these books and these kind of like um, phenomenons happening at the same time, um, is it phenomenons or phenomena? I don't know. Anyway, when we think about these two things happening at the same time, um, we have on the one hand, black men trying to um, give in to, to manhood. And we have on the other hand, black men um playing with manhood and and going against manhood and like trying to find a different way to to express their identity um and i i I just think that's so great because um especially i i I love that i most of my texts were were um most of the texts on my list were really rooted in 19th century um stuff and i think um on the one hand that is from my examiner um being very heavily rooted in the 19th century um black studies and um black culture and then the other hand is like there's so much stuff about slavery that we don't 
really know. Um, and and there's so many references to slavery that that we don't know. Um, not in the t- in terms of a slavery a- as in like just referencing the the culture or the time of it, but just like how the how black identity has been shaped after slavery and with and through slavery um and how black people harken back and and remake stories um that are based in slavery and so um yeah i just really like that i like learn i liked learning about the black dandy any any anything that is going to give me a different uh a, a different um words anything that's going to give me a different image of black masculinity is going to be a win for me because I just, I just love finding, I love finding contradictions to what we now have um, or what we always have had uh, in these sort of debates around black masculinity and authentic black masculinity where, you know, manhood is what is sought after and not other ways to deviate o- away from manhood or ways to, or, or, or moments where people do deviate from manhood. They are um, seen as a negative to the quote unquote race, but that is not true. Um, black people have always given um, various different ways to be. Um, and I think that's something that I uh, thoroughly loved uh, reading about in in this exam process so those were a few books that i liked reading for my performance studies list let's see how long i've been talking about okay i'm gonna speed through my queer studies list um oh and oh and another book i had on my performance studies list was bodies in descent by another queen daphne brooks um very good book about um again about uh, uh slavery and freedom and um just per, uh how again <laughs> the 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 list is performance study so it's about black performance <laughs> um and but she, but in that book she talks about afro alienate afro alienation so um basically again a way that black performers are um, using, I don't know what I don't want to say it's about isolation, but how, how in isolation they, they, they found a way to, to, um, know themselves. I, I think that's a, I think that could be a way to think about Afro alienation. I'm blanking on exactly what Afro alienation means at the moment, which means I need to go back and read it. Um, okay. So for my queer studies list, I, so I wanted to have a little bit of foundational stuff and then a lot of black stuff. So I have from the foundational side, history of sexuality, compulsory heterosexuality and lesbian existence. I have epistemology of the closet, which was interesting to read. I have gender trouble, which was, uh, um, I have uh, Thinking Sex by Gail Rubin. Um, I have Inside Out, Lesbian Theories, Gay Theories, edited by Diana Fuss. That was like the first um, uh, 
lesbian and gay studies um volume one of the first um i have is the requiem a grave by leo bersani i think that's how you say his name politic uh poets of relation the invention of heterosexuality which is really interesting and that's by jonathan nickax um so yeah those were so out of these books i'd say you know history if you haven't read these history of sexuality epistemology of the closet and gender trouble those are must reads um just get through them uh you don't have to read the whole thing um really reading the intro and then going to go do a book uh look at a book review will 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 suffice um history of sexuality just um thinking about the and i i think if i go back and really read this one i think um i would get a lot out of it it's just i don't like that kind of language um but history of sexuality is just like basically thinking about how um sex sexuality was a historical moment so it 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 was made into a um a kind of (laughs) now i feel like i haven't studied all but i i know i can talk about these things um (laughs) basically how sexuality was made into a certain historical moment to um so that certain state um i was gonna say state measures certain st- i don't want to say state apparatuses so certain state powers oh, that that's that does it certain state powers um were able to um control people's bodies and this is happening and he says uh, sex became a a kind of like the sexual subject became like a topic um in the 18th or 17th century i forget um and so sexuality became this thing that you confessed um and then that became the way that the state was able to regulate people's bodies and and reproduction and things like that um that that in its most simplest and and accurate terms is the history of sexuality epistemology of the closet um now i i don't think i will ever read this whole book i think reading the intro is so long it gives you everything you need to know basically that everything is on a binary um and in american in in, in western culture everything is on a homo hetero binary um or what she calls homo hetero definition um and the closet is a is a is a is a space where um sexuality is hidden or or it can be revealed um i don't remember what exactly she says about the closet um because it was just confusing to read um but i i pretty much uh the the whole the whole bind she has the whole book is about binaries that's all you need to know um gender trouble um gender is performance that's the largest thing about it i do like her critique of feminism um but i i i can't get down with um how uh uh she hmm. i can't get down with how in all of these texts i don't like how black feminism is um 
<laughs> I don't like how black feminism, one, isn't mentioned, and two, how their texts are being passed off as some kind of like revolutionary new thing when um gender is per- gender is a performance it has been said many times over by many black women scholars um before 1990 um so and then in the critiques of feminism th- that has uh, has been done before like in the 70s um so you know I, those are my feelings about that text Moving on away from the um, foundational stuff. I had a whole section on black lesbian feminism. I read Audre Lorde. I read um, Evelyn Brooks Hickenbotham's uh, African-American women's history in the meta language of race. Uh, pretty much theorizing that race operates in. Um, a, 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 I like her attention to language and a meta language. So race operating in a way that you can be referring to it but it can be denied um or you can um i think there's one way she thinks about meta language um yeah so that's all i'll say about that uh mapping the margins uh intersectionality identity politics and violence against women with color by kimley uh oh god damn it what's her name Kimberly I don't ever know how to say her like people say her name okay Kimberly Williams Crenshaw Kimberly Williams Crenshaw okay um I look if you have okay people will cite her for intersectionality and things like that read the whole article read the whole article mama goes and she does cultural studies she does literary critique she she does um just i think it's also performance studies too because she talks about how um the two uh two live crew uh a case with two live crew uh where they went to court i want to read more on this case too where they um got accused of obscenity um at a performance that they did and she critiques henry loses lewis gates for saying that two live crew was signifying um, through their um, these exaggerated um, displays of black women um, uh, shaking their ass and stuff, and Kimberly Crenshaw, uh, Kimberly Williams Crenshaw says, um, "Well, no, I mean they can't be signifying because they're not a part of that group. You know, the the signifying implies that you're you're part of a certain group and you're able to be satirical about." Um, certain aspects of that group because you belong to it and she's like no uh this 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 is not signifying because these men are not these men are not a part of this group these men have power over these women and they're exercising power over these women um i i i I do if henry lewis gates argued that the women were signifying that would have held up um, more than saying that two life crew themselves were signifying because the image that they were giving off, um, it, their bodies were protected. I mean, not like when I say protected, their bodies weren't like naked and, and gy- like shaking their ass. Like it was, it was women who were doing that. So it's like, how can they, as the people who are presenting this image be signifying? I just, 
yeah, really don't get why he argued that. And um, I really think low-key he was just trying to promote his research, which I get. Like, you want to promote your research. You want to get people buying that book. You want to get your name out there. I get that. Um, I really want to think about... I really want to, like, look deep, more deeply into that case. Um, yeah, just because it's interesting. Um, so, yeah, mapping the margins. Read the whole thing. Like, read it closely because intersectionality is not the only thing that you can get from that article um i read don't don't let nobody bother your principal where uh, it talked about how black women's reproduction was exploited um in, in the um slave trade um and uh how black women birth uh how laws were designed for black women to birth uh children that were then um made into workers um so yeah basically about the exploitation of, of black female sexuality um evelyn hammond's uh black holes in the geometry of female sexuality uh kathy cohen's punks bull daggers and welfare queens and uh and i read a uh essay by barbara smith from her book the truth that never hurts so that was my black lesbian feminism section I thoroughly enjoyed reading about that. Then I had a um, black queer studies section where I read um, black queer studies introduction, no tea, no shade introduction, um, queering the color line. Um, Can the queen speak by Dwight McBride palm. uh, Take me home by um, who's that by. Oh, Philip Brian Harper, um, which is a very there. So, and then I'm thinking of uh, extravagant, uh, extravagant objection, and I'm thinking of um, who else? Oh, I'm thinking of uh, Robert Reed Farr's um, "Once You Go Black," um, where there so these are these are um black these are black gay men in english and they write the way that they write it's like you you can't speed through you can't speed read through any of their stuff because i there's something about how they're writing where it's really attuned to um this literary um criticism um and the way that they write is very um literary and it's the way that they close read um any kind of uh text um like philip byron harper is close reading a moment that he has um an exchange that he has and um it's just i'll just say it's very literary and i think there's something um interesting coming out of those scholars and it's just very um much attuned to the the time like the the time of what am i trying to say it's very much attuned to the yeah i just keep thinking of the time of scholarship at that time (laughs) that's so repetitive but i'm just gonna i'm gonna let it go um yeah so i yeah those were three books that i found interesting um to read oh Nobody is supposed to know by C. Riley Snorton is so good. Um, C. Riley Snorton has another book called Black on Both Sides, which I read on my performance studies list. 
also good um, about um, the the blackness of transness and thinking about um, the archive and, and, and blackness and transness. Really great. Um, but Nobody's Supposed to Know is one of his, I would say one of his easier <laughs> reads um, where he, I really like how he talks about black gossip um, and he's really thinking about this bridging of communication studies and black studies. And um, I just love the section about black gossip. And he talks about trapped in the closet too. Um, and pretty much he's theorizing about the glass closet and he's building this off of Eve Sedgwick's um, epistemology of the closet where he's talking about how black sexuality is a glass closet. Black sexuality is always um, visible. Um, there's, no, there's no way of escaping the visibility of black sexuality. Um, and then he, he, he goes into talking about um, just certain, uh, certain texts through black culture. I love how he, how he talks about um, language and things like that. And I think reading uh, language in, in, in visual, I um, mean, talks about audio visual um, stuff. And so I, I like this because I think this is the way I think about um, like media. I, I, I find myself always wanting to quote heavily what's going on in terms of dialogue, what's going on in terms of um, narration and things like this. Um, but I never knew how to connect that to, um, I never thought it was a valid way to th talk about something that was visual and C. Riley Storton gives me a great blueprint to do that. So, um, I would heavily recommend nobody's supposed to know black sexuality on the download. Oh yeah. Yeah. He's talking about the culture of, 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 um, the download and, and, um, black culture, um, yeah, so that's that's what I'm talking about. That's what he's talking about there. Um, yeah, I think those are pretty much um, most of the texts. Well, it's not most of the texts. I have a lot more that I could talk about, but I have been rambling for so long, and I want to wrap this up for y'all. So, um, oh, there. So I have. Um, so how the lists were done, I had. Um, uh, secondary texts, which were the theoretical texts, and they had primary texts, which were um, literary texts that you can use to um, uh, apply your apply these discussions to. So, um, for my queer studies list, again, I wanted to center blackness, so I I put Beloved by Toni Morrison, Caricadora by Gail Jones. And I put um, James Baldwin's Going to Meet the Man. And then for my um, performance studies list, I put um, uh, My Eyes Have Seen by Alice Dunbar Nielsen, I think that's her name. The Conjure Woman by, um, who, who's the by? Oh, I don't know. Is it... Um, it's the Conjure Woman, <laughs> um, The Oct Room, uh, or Life in Louisiana, which is a play, Imperium and Imperio, Study of the Negro Race, um, a Running a Thousand Miles for Freedom, or The Escape of William and Ellen Craft um, from Slavery, um, Narrative of Henry Box Brown, written by himself, and Narrative of a Slave Girl. So those were... Oh, and then I read... Um, the, the mulatto 
and the brown overcoat by victor suger who um was the first i believe the first african-american to publish a story i think fact check that please um yeah so those were that's my list in in um in a sum um and like i maybe have said in the episode that was just released um the way that we're doing the exams now i waived the written portion so now i can answer the questions in a um kind of presentation format when i do my um when i take my exams um virtually which i am so grateful for because i love that i don't have to physically see see I love that I don't have to physically see my examiners when I take these because I can just do this from the comfort of my home. So, um, yes. Yeah, so I will. Yeah. Even though I'm going to be on a break. Um, well, yeah. When I get back from the break, I will let y'all know how the exams went. Um, I, I just, okay. I would say I'm nervous, but I'm not because I know that I've read, um, now when i got on this little mic and was trying to tell y'all about it um (laughs) i got choked up but now now i know places where i need to go back and um re re understand or remember the argument of what people are saying and um yeah like i said i would say i'm nervous but i'm not because um i had fun reading uh these texts um, even if the pandemic wasn't going on, I think I, I still would have enjoyed reading these texts because I made sure that most of my texts on there were going to be things that I've always wanted to read. Like Kurgador, I've always, people have always, um, talked about this book in black studies. And so I put it on my course studies list. Um, so yeah. Uh, so I, I, yeah, just, uh, wish me luck if you care to do so. Um, and I will see y'all in October sometime in October. All right. Thank you for listening to go black boy, go. And as always take care of yourself.